Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol, and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. Friendships. This is a good follow-up to our last episode, yeah. actually, because we, you and I just sat and chatted about relationships in general and like even our marriages. And then we touched on friendships as well. But this, we're diving a little deeper with friendships and actually the fallout side of friendships when you get sober. Yeah. And it's it's another very personal one, yeah. like relationships, but actually the same sorts of things happen across the board. And we hear the same stories from people all over the world with completely different friendship groups. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely some patterns and there are definitely some hurdles that everyone seems to have to get over. And I think that's a really good thing to talk about because there are ways you can deal with this and it's trial and error for a lot of people. But if we can kind of share some experiences and things that have worked for us, hopefully it will help other people. Yeah. And just the realizations that come with it and just to bring comfort with the fact that it does feel really scary at the beginning, especially if you have like a group of friends that you drink with all the time, like I did. The scariest part is like, how am I going to fit into that? And as a human being, we want to fit in somewhere like we need a group, we need community. And it feels like you're just jumping off a cliff. It's so scary, but it's necessary. I mean, I don't know about you, Kate, but I just found like there was a lot of people that really needed to exit my life if I was going to continue down the path of like fulfilling a life that I really wanted in alignment with like the things I enjoy doing, the things I don't enjoy doing, because you do discover all those things in sobriety. Like you figure out who you really are yeah, and it becomes very clear very quickly that some of these people just, they just don't fit anymore. Yeah. And actually you know, we surround ourselves with people who are similar to us. So obviously when we're drinking, we're surrounded by other big drinkers. So when we stop, we're not going to fit into that circle. So of course, we're going to feel like an outsider. Of course, it's going to be strange, but that's part of sobriety. It's not just about not picking up a drink. It's about deciding who you are without alcohol. And you don't need to be surrounded by people drinking. You don't want to be surrounded by people drinking when you change. So you do have to step out but that doesn't mean you don't step into other circles. And it doesn't mean that you can't see people who were in that circle in other situations. And I think that's a really important thing to realize is that at the end of the day, if people are genuine friends, they are not going to stop being your friend because you're not drinking. Because anyone who thinks, I don't really want to be friends with you now, you're not going to get drunk. There's your indication they're not a good friend. So it's an easy exit, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And it can feel like I'm going to be completely honest here. When that first happens, it can almost feel like a punishment. Like I could admit to you that yeah. there were people that I hung out with, that I drank with, that when they pulled away, I felt a little bit of shame for being the one who changed. Because yeah. if I wouldn't have changed, the relationship would have continued on. And I had to work through that. Like, and this is when we're talking about doing the work. You can't, like you said, Kate, you can't just quit drinking. Like you have to like dive in deep. Like, why does it bother me? And why do I feel shame? And should I feel shame? And if you need to get a therapist to help you work through these emotions, like I did, it's so helpful because at the end of the day, 
what I'm doing for myself is a positive thing. Yeah, the relationship ended and that can feel negative. But at the end of the day, it's positive because now I continue down my sober path. I don't have someone making me feel bad for the decision that I made. And I have made other friendships. And like you said, the friends that really care about me and really want to see me thrive in my life, they have stuck by me. And those are the people you got to just like hang on to and let the rest just kind of fall. Definitely. I mean, it's like I don't want alcohol to be part of my identity anymore. Mm -mm. If that's so important to you that you don't want to be around me, then that's fine. And that's the end of the story. And it's hard to deal with. Yes, you do have to adapt. But that's what most people who reach this point in their life who have decided to stop drinking, they've done it for a lot of reasons and they're all positive for yourself. And that includes looking at your friendships, looking at what you're doing in your spare time. And as people who have done two years of this, we know that it is healthy and you do end up finding new friends. You don't just sit there on your own. But having to navigate those relationships changing is a two-way thing because you can't just suddenly go, I've completely changed. You've known me as the big drinker or the party person who holds all the parties. Suddenly I'm not drinking And I've made that decision and I'm expecting you to suddenly adapt. People don't know what to do. You have to give them time because, you know, and I'm trying to be very empathetic with with other people. And I have done throughout my sobriety, you know, including my husband who carried on drinking and, and I stopped. How is it for them? Because it is a huge change. It changes what you want to do in the evening and how you want to go out. They have to understand what you're going to want to do now. They're not going to immediately get it. They might be nervous to ask you out because they don't want you to feel triggered or tempted. So they think, well, you know, I've seen friends in pubs and I haven't been invited and I'm sure I would have been invited before. But it's things like that. You can say in your head, they're being unkind and they're leaving me out, but actually maybe they're not. Maybe they're just trying to be kind, but they're still leaving you out. So it's important that you learn how to say, I'm still okay with going to bars if you are. Mm -hmm. Or you say to them, I still want to see you. Can we go for a walk on a Sunday Mm -hmm. and have a chat? And I think that's how you navigate it. You work out what you're comfortable with. You work out the people you want to see and you find a way to see them. And then you can talk it through with them. Yeah, You can work out and, and let them know how you're feeling and what you're doing. I mean, in my situation, my husband and I had like a huge friend group that we partied with and drank with. And I didn't want anything to change as far as like our activities and what we did when I got sober. And I still thought we could go to happy hour and do all that. But you very quickly learn, or at least for me, because it is kind of a personal thing. I just learned quickly, like, yeah, now I know why I had to drink to go do these things, because this is actually really boring. I would rather be sitting at home right now reading a book or watching a movie than sit in this bar and watch these people slowly poison themselves and get drunk. Because that's the way I saw it. Like once I identified alcohol as like this poison that I didn't want to put in my body. I can't help sit there. And I don't, I guess it is a form of judging, right? It is a form of judging them, but it comes from a place of like caring for them, like watching them. And then being a part of it almost makes me feel like I'm okay with it. It was really hard, but then yeah, my husband, like these are his friends too. And I feel bad, But I appreciate the fact that he's been supportive of me and I have been cut out of a a group text. Uh, My husband is included in it, in that group. And is that hurtful? Yeah, 
I'm not going to lie. It's hurtful. But at the end of the day, I understand it. You know, like I have to come from like a place of empathy, like you said, and just understand that I haven't had a conversation with them on why I'm not included in the group chat. So I can sit there and create all these different scenarios in my mind, or I can confront them on it, or I can just let it go. Because at the end of the day, do I really want to go do things with them? Unfortunately, no, I don't. I can't think of one thing I would call and ask them to go do because everything we did was go out and drink or go on a vacation and drink. And so I have accepted it. And I think that it says a lot. I mean, two years in, it says a lot because at the beginning, I was just trying to hold on to these friendships that had a purpose at one time. They just don't anymore. You know, when there's no mutual interests, when there's nothing you want to do together, that's it. But I think it's really important to realize that that's okay. We change in life and our friendships change and yeah. they either evolve or they they grow apart. But mm-hmm. that's all right. It's mm-hmm. it's completely normal. It's natural. That's growing and evolving. You don't want to stay best friends with the people you knew when you were five years old and say, well, that's it. That's your yeah. lot for life. Mm-hmm. It's just not realistic. You, but you can maintain friendships with people. But yeah, you do need to be honest and open. And you need to make an effort as well. I've been guilty of sitting there and thinking, well, no one's asked me to do anything for six months. But actually, what have I done? Right. Why is it up to them to find things that they think I might want to do? That's not fair. So let's chat to Amanda, who is rethinking alcohol on Instagram, and she is loved by many. She is always such a positive person who gives great tips and shares a lot of her own personal experiences. She's an absolute breath of fresh air. What was your social life like before you gave up? Gosh, I was a cliche party girl. All right. I love going out. I love letting my hair down. I love having all the drinks with my friends, the cheers, the shots. So, you know, I wasn't as much of a home drinker, not that I wasn't drinking at home, but I would kind of save it up for the weekend and then go hard, work hard, play hard, name of the game here. And It was really normalized in my environment. I am a single person in my 30s. If you're single in your 30s, a lot of us are still kind of living that life. So I had the fears of, am I going to be a loser? Am I not going to have any friends? Is no one going to want to hang out with me? And that is a reason that deterred me from quitting for a long time as well as many other reasons. But I just couldn't imagine, I really couldn't imagine being sober. What am I going to do? Am I just going to sit at home and stare at the walls? I think that's a really common fear, isn't it? I didn't have any hobbies other than drinking in the evening. I didn't do anything. So when you say you're going to eliminate that, the prospect of taking that out of your life, I mean, you really are left with a big gap. And you can't suddenly become someone who loves weaving or plays the piano and needs to practice. It just doesn't happen. And, And most of us who have spent all of our spare time drinking, don't have these other hobbies that we really enjoy because we we want to spend our spare time drinking and socializing. So it is daunting. And I get that. And what did you do? Do you remember that first month? Did you leave the house in evenings? I do not think it's really hard for me to remember that first month because I didn't journal that first month regrets. I don't think I left the house. I don't think I told really, that's not true. Okay. I remember now it's coming (laughs) back. I left the house because my birthday, my 34th birthday 
was like 12 days into being sober. And so I had friends who had already planned to hang out with me and they invited me and I told them up front, I'm I'm not drinking right now. I want to just do a small little thing. And they were totally understanding. They were like, okay, we can do that. I went to a bar that wasn't my bar. So that was, I think, key. It wasn't triggering because it wasn't my place. I looked ahead. They had mocktails. And then my friend is not a big drinker either. So I was going out with someone I felt safe with. We had a couple drinks. It was such a pleasant time. And then I went home. I was definitely anxious. So that's real. But I think that felt like a really safe situation. Whereas I definitely had declined other invitations that I thought, Mm, I don't really think I need to go to that place tonight. Did you tell her why you weren't drinking or did you not give a reason? Did you just say, I'm not drinking? Because that's a question I get asked a lot. Yeah, this is a really close friend of mine. So I don't think it was a shocker to her that I was choosing not to drink. And so I think that's such a nuanced question. It depends on who is asking me the question and how comfortable I am with vulnerability. Not everybody needs to know why you're not drinking. It's not everybody's business. You don't have to tell somebody, but this is a dear friend of mine and I wanted her support. I really wanted that. And I knew I wasn't going to get it if I just said, "Mm, I'm not drinking this month. So, you know, it's like, Hey, my mental health is really in the gutter right now. I really want to improve my relationships. And so I'm just not doing that. I want to focus on other things. And she's the most supportive person ever. So she's like, okay. Do you feel like to this point, like two years later, is that relationship still strong? Like, has she still supported you all the way through? Oh, gosh. Yeah. And again, that's why it's so nuanced between friends because she still supports me. Here's something funny, actually. So on that birthday, again, No one knew that I was not drinking until kind of my birthday when I had to reveal I'm not going out tonight. One friend got me a handle of whiskey for my birthday. So if that tells you what my reputation is. Right. And then that friend got me like this cute little cocktail book. Super cute. No harm, no foul. But she, when she was giving me the present, she's like, if you don't want this, I'm happy to exchange it. Like she was very accommodating. And I was like, no, I don't know how long I'm going to be sober. Maybe I can use it or maybe I could use it for mocktails. But just to give you an idea of how people viewed me and my relationship with alcohol. Very similar. Well, I've talked about it. My dad gave me a wine advent calendar for the month of December. And I had already mentally told myself I was done drinking come January 1st. So, like, I hadn't told anyone. And you just, like, it's kind of a slap in the face because you're like, yeah, here's another reason why I need to quit drinking. Everyone identifies me as, like, a drinker. It's like They don't even know what to get me for a gift. So they're like, oh, we'll just give her alcohol. I actually use that information to continue on my journey for sure because that could have been a shame spiral. You know, that could have been a totally out of control. I can't believe people see me this way. Instead, I I use that as information to say like, wow, this is not what I want my identity to be. Mm -hmm. I do not want to be wrapped up into this. And I've gotten in too deep. It's time. It's time to pull back out and maybe get some different gifts for my birthday next year. Yeah, (laughs) hopefully a mocktail book, maybe. Right. It's like, well, now you've made sobriety your whole identity. So here's some sober (laughs) stuff. Like, I guess this is less harmful. 
When we decide to stop, there are two sort of ways that people tend to choose when it comes to informing their friends Mm -hmm. about sobriety. I told everyone loudly. I literally broadcast it out. I wanted everyone to know. And for me, the reason I did that was I needed to be held accountable. And I thought, if I tell everyone I'm doing it, it's going to push me to do it. Also, I don't have to have a million different conversations. Well, I mean, I don't have a million friends, but, you know, I don't have to have that conversation every time I see someone. And I did actually end up having to have it because they all go, still, that's that was my approach. And then the approach that you seem to have taken, Amanda, was that, and also you, Steph, is that you just edged into it. Mm-hmm. And you just thought, this is for me, I'm going to take my time and, and maybe talk to one person at a time. So how did that timeline work from when you gave up drinking to everybody knowing? How did you manage that? Yeah, it, it's actually kind of an amalgamation of, of those two things. Because the first month, I felt like I kind of needed to prove to myself that I could even do it that whole shame of like, what if I tell people and I fuck this up, like, and then they know and you know, because I wasn't doing dry January. I couldn't, I didn't really feel like I had that excuse. So I waited um, about a month. And then I had read a lot of Brene Brown on vulnerability and the antidote for shame is vulnerability. And I got to that month and I had already started following some sober accounts. And I was like, I think I just need to put this out there. I don't want to have these conversations with everybody. I think Instagram was a huge accountability platform for me. And then I created the account. Boom, it's out there. If you want to talk to me, if you want to follow me, you can. But that was kind of, it was like I edged into it and then I jumped. How was that received by people who knew you personally? Like, did you have a lot of people that knew you personally follow that sober Instagram account? And if so, were they commenting? Did it spark conversation about your sobriety between them? How did that go down? I think what's interesting is that people saw the account, but they didn't follow. They were, I think, interested, but not interested enough to follow. And I mean, it's very specific content, too. So some people kind of would say, oh, I saw your account. Cool. I actually had a handful of people reach out to me directly and say, oh, that's so cool you're doing that. I am happy to hang out with you without drinking. Mm-hmm. I would love to get a coffee. Immediately, I felt relaxed. I was like, oh, my God. I Again, I thought no one was going to be my friend. One friend in particular, all we did was get margaritas. That's what we did. And she was one of the people that said, we don't have to get margaritas. It was so relieving. Yeah. And you you do realize as well, well, I did that I was an instigator when it came to drinking. And actually, when I go out with my friends and I, I'm okay being around people drinking still. I know a lot of people aren't, but I am. And it's amazing how some of my friends will have a glass of wine and it will last the whole night and then they'll order a, a tea. And I'm kind of like, we've been drinking for years together. You normally drink you know, not as much as me, but, and they're like, well, I was drinking because you drink a lot, but actually I'm fine like this. Did you find that you developed a totally different relationship with that woman? Well, she ended up moving away, but I would say, I would say, yeah, you know, I mean, gosh, I can remember some of those conversations over margaritas. I cannot remember them all, but it's, you know, when, when you're being vulnerable and, and you're just, but you're just like spilling your guts and you're not really listening to each other. It's just that whole sloppy drunk at the bar, but, but we're like really revealing ourselves. That is not true connection. 
that is not true connection. And I think we confuse that because it's like, wow, I just shared a lot with that person. But how much was retained? What what was that connection really like? Because a lot of times the next day, I feel embarrassed about mm-hmm. what I've shared. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that shit. You know, having a sober conversation, but maybe with the same content is going to be different. But people are afraid to be honest, to share with their friends. This is I have known this person for years. Why do we have to get drunk to talk to each other? Yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's so many relationships that I had that I really thought I was bonding with them or we were really getting in depth, but sobering up and reflecting and losing some of those people even. Like some of those people didn't want to have sober conversations with me anymore or hang out with me sober. And it's really hard to accept. But the further I got into it and realized, actually, it's probably best because if I have to drink to be around you, or if that's part of like how you want to be around me, that's not healthy. Like that's just not any way that I want to live. So sometimes you have to just be okay to walk away from those relationships. But it sounds like you really didn't run into a lot of that. Like you said, you you partied a lot. Did you have like party friends that kind of faded out at all? Yeah. I mean, I frequented this one bar. And even before that, I kind of looked at it as if you don't hang out with these people outside of these four walls, they're not your friends. I would never call up any of those people and say, let's go grab tacos. Right. Would never do that. They're not my friends. But I spent more time with those people than my actual friends. So those are the people that I lost. And that was really no loss. Let's be honest. I did. I would say this was a mutual agreement with a friend. We decided to take a break from our friendship because she was continuing to drink and I was not. And it was kind of creating a dynamic where she was feeling judged. Mm -hmm. I was feeling overly concerned about her behaviors. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it and we decided it wasn't healthy. That was the most painful casualty, I guess in my sobriety. We were very close friends for seven years and we just were going in different directions and our values just weren't aligned. And I have some hope that maybe our paths will cross again, but it seems like it's not really healthy for us to be friends. That's a very, very mature conversation Mm -hmm. and decision to make. And what you said about being in the bar with these people more than your friends I've never heard anyone explain it like that before Mm -hmm. like you just did and it really hit me that it's just so true and it's it's basically choosing people who allow you to drink as much as you want because they do and you choose those people over the friends who are sitting at home who don't want to get wasted but you think I want to go drink so much that I'm going to choose to spend my time with these other people because I can drink while I'm doing it. And that realization is sad. You know, it's these things that we have to be really honest about when we're going through the first steps of our, like the first months of our sobriety, because actually by acknowledging them and saying that is not healthy, those are not real connections, just like you said, You start to realize what you're actually missing and the crap you're actually telling yourself and the way you're living. There's no substance. Mm -hmm. They're not real friends. Mm -hmm. You're spending all of your extra money on alcohol and you're not looking great either, by the way, and you're feeling awful. You're not liking yourself very much. I mean, come on. When you start to really be honest about these things and people 
always say, but you're going to lose friends. And the way you've just described it, you're not actually going to lose friends. You're going to keep hold of the people who are real friends and you're going to lose drinking partners. But quite frankly, that's okay. Yeah. And I think a key here is allowing yourself to grieve these losses. Yes. Because I struggled with this for a long time of, should I reach back out? Should I not reach back out? And I really came to the decision that if my values are not aligned with a person, are we supposed to be friends? Not everybody is meant to be in your life forever. And that is okay. But when somebody knows you, you know, you have shared your life with somebody and they know you, you are really giving up this piece of yourself. And it's okay to grieve that loss and that friendship. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that I did have friends outside of the bar. But I know some people that might be starting from scratch. Yeah. And I hear you. I get that that is probably terrifying. Yeah. The whole grieving part is big. And I think it's a big part that people are afraid to do. And that's kind of what causes them to not continue on their sober path because they want to go down the path of least resistance, right? Like, I'll just go back to the bar with the people that know me that, you know, there's this illusion that alcohol creates, like you were saying, this illusion of connection, this illusion of like bonding. And you have to like lift that curtain and expose it. And it's hard. It's so hard. I mean, I just remember not only was I grieving, I have a, a friendship pretty similar to what you were talking about, Amanda. And I go back and forth all the time. Like, even to this day, should I reach out to her? Like, is it time? Do you think it's time? Like, should I reach out to her? Because so much time has gone. It's so awkward. And it's like, what would I reach out to her about? Right. What What am I going to ask her to go do? And I have to grieve that version of me that's no longer around. Because that's what it really is, right? That person's gone. That version of me has gone. And that's who they want to be friends with. And so it's like, I have to grieve that. They have to accept that. And I mean, at the end of the day, my life is mine and this I'm living it the way I've always really wanted to live. And I'm actually fulfilling things that I've always wanted to do that alcohol held back. How do you deal with what must feel like rejection at the fact that they haven't contacted you? Because actually, that's probably what should happen. You're the one who's made this life change. All the other people are still in the same place. Really, if that happened to one of my friends, I would reach out to them and say, well done. I'm still drinking, but how about we go for a walk instead? I didn't have that experience because the people that didn't call me were the people that are still sitting in that bar today. And I'm not friends with them. I don't even live on that side of town. So I just tell myself I have no business going there. Well, for me, like in the beginning, I remember just telling everyone like, it's fine. I can still come hang out. Like I'll still do happy hour. I'll still do all the things. But I was so committed to my sobriety. I was also still very in that people-pleasing part of myself. I mean, that's something that I was able to shed in sobriety. But early on in sobriety, I was still very much like I wanted everyone to feel comfortable. I didn't want my sobriety to make them uncomfortable, but it made me uncomfortable. And I got to the point where I just realized I I don't really care to do these things anymore. And so Mm -hmm. I think they could sense that. And as the invites slowly faded, I was okay with it, honestly. Like still to this day, it doesn't bother me. I think sometimes it bothers my husband because he's he likes to socialize more than I do too. Like I will say this part of it, like 
I drank a lot so that I could hang and socialize for all the hours that like my very extroverted husband likes to do. But he has also found an introverted side of himself that he probably wasn't nurturing. You kind of bring up this good point about how relationships can evolve in a positive way, right? So we talk about kind of losing relationships, but you and your husband's dynamic has shifted and it's impacted him in ways that he didn't anticipate for the better. And that's something that's been interesting about the whole recovering out loud process is the impact it has had on friends who have said, you know, I th- I've, I've been trying these NA beers. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, you know, I saw you were doing this. I thought I'd try this stuff out. They might still be drinking, but they're now rethinking their relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. because all of a sudden I have made this safe to talk about and to explore. And people do say, wow, that's really cool. I get a lot of positive feedback from people more so than I have anyone saying like, are you going to do this forever? Like, I don't really get that kind of reaction. I really try to invite peace into my life and not be reactive. But sometimes, sometimes I lose it. I have been around people who do the um, justifying their drinking kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I probably should quit, but you know, it's okay. That stuff does make me very uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. I, I have a hard time. I don't want to entertain it. So typically I would suggest you try to just divert to a different topic of like, yeah, that sounds really wild. What do you have going on this summer? You know, like divert, shift the topic to something else. I'm really thinking of a specific example. This person would not come off it. They just were talking about all these shots and this crazy night they had. I eventually said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to head home now. That was that, you know, it just, we didn't have anything in common. Why was I trying to be friends with them? Yeah, you don't want to sit and talk about drinking all the time. And you feel a bit like you're endorsing it. And yeah. I don't know if that's what you meant, Amanda, but when when people sort of say, oh, well, I you know, did this and that, if I just sit there and smile, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to be in this situation because people will automatically think you're judging them. And I hadn't anticipated this in sobriety. I just thought, well, they might think I'm boring, but that, that will be it. But actually... People feel uncomfortable with you being there and they think you're judging them even when you're completely not. I do not care what other people do. I don't want to be around while they're drunk, but I have, I'm have. i focused on myself. I don't have time to think about your units, but whatever. Yeah, here, here's a funny story about socializing recently. A friend asked me if I wanted to go out dancing with some of her other friends. I'm familiar with them. They all drink. And I was like, sure, cool. I can do this. So we get there at nine o'clock, you know, and everyone's just sitting down. Conversation's not that interesting. And I'm like, so are we going to dance? And it's like, oh no, we're going to have a couple more drinks. And I was like, oh shit, am I going to have to wait for you guys? to get buzzed before we can go out here. And I made the decision that I was going to go out there. No one is dancing. No one. Because everybody in this entire bar is waiting to get buzzed. Well, what am I waiting for? Like, so I went out there and then all of a sudden it was permission for other people to join me. What a weird thing. Did I feel hella uncomfortable? Yes. I wasn't like misconfidence out there of like, look at me. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I came here to dance. And if I don't, I'm going to be bitter 
I'm going to blame these people. Mm -hmm. They aren't telling me not to dance. So, you know, that's just, that's an example of kind of what you might have to be prepared for too. If you go out sober, a lot of people are kind of waiting Mm -hmm. to get buzzed before things actually liven up. And it's a good point. And you've got to be who you are. Even when you're out there, it doesn't, don't forget who you are. You're still allowed to go and have fun. You don't have to just sit there and listen to people and wait for them to to drink eight drinks. Why would you want to do that? Go out if the evening is going to be interesting for you. If not, don't. And and also get up and do something. I think that's cool. And guess what? At 11 p.m., I said, it is time for me to go. I had a fun time dancing. See you later. Felt great the next day. Remembered everything. Felt great. And this is this is the other thing is that in order for us to retrain our brains into, you know, living a life without alcohol, we have to expose ourselves to this situation. We have to be able to tolerate the discomfort. We can avoid it and we can set at home and be miserable. And not that if you're setting at home, you are miserable, but if you're a social person, you might be, mm-hmm. or you put yourself in the situation and you learn to cope with that. Not suggesting that anybody does anything that they're not ready to do, because I do think you need to have some tools under your belt before you put yourself in that situation. But you have to at some point, you have to experience the discomfort. And then when you go home at 11 o'clock, you'll be really proud of yourself. I not that many years ago, would have taken my shirt off at the bar, danced on a couch, like bought drinks for everybody. When I say that I'm a party girl, I mean, let's go. I've really tried to ask myself, do I want to retire that person completely? Or is there a way that I can still be that person without having to say, you know, that's a different time in my life? It is a different time in my life. I don't need to dance on a couch anymore at a bar. I'm 35 going on 36 years old, but I can still go out and dance fully clothed. I mean, the the other thing about partying, you know, dancing on a couch is that's fun. And a lot of people would laugh at this and I have the story to tell. And it was never a problem for anyone else. At least no one ever told me it was a problem for them. But I would feel so much shame Mm. and embarrassment. I am a professional. This is a small town. What am I doing out here? And then that shame and embarrassment and regret and everything was just piling up. And I kind of eventually got to the point where I accepted I would not be doing these things if I wasn't drinking. I am not just going to go out somewhere and take my shirt off when I'm sober. It's not happening. What would my life be like if I didn't drink? You know, and those are the questions that I started to ask myself. It's such a great question. What would my life be like if I didn't drink? Because I remember, I mean, she even talked about this too. Like I remember seeing accounts or things of people who were sober, like every once in a while, they would like enter my social media feed. First of all, I would think there's no way I could ever do that. Like I just didn't think I had it in me. But then there was this fantasy side of my brain that would be like daydreaming about what life could possibly look like. And so I know exactly what she means, but that was the driving force. That was the driving question when I decided to get sober because there's so many possibilities. If I've done everything I've done whilst drinking every night, what would I be capable of if I stopped? And actually, that was almost the challenge that catapulted me into sobriety because by setting that kind of challenge, 
it became a positive. It became something exciting, full of opportunity rather than you're taking something out of your life. Very easy to think that way because you are eliminating something from your life and you don't know what you're going to gain at that point. Mm -hmm. But by saying, let's see what happens, it makes it exciting. It makes it positive. It's not just, I don't want to feel crap anymore. It's let's see what's possible. Let's see who I am. And by seeing who you are, you're taking alcohol out of it and you're standing there alone and you're going, this is me now without drugs. That's a daunting thing, but it's quite a powerful thing to do to even get to that step of day one and saying, I'm not drinking anymore. This is who I am. Let's see where I fit in. It's scary and exciting in equal measures, isn't it? It is. But then that's where the shedding and then the attracting happens. That's when you become your truest self. And then the people that aren't in alignment with that, they fall away. And then the people who really love you for who you are at your core, you attract them. And those are like the best relationship, hands down. The people who understand you and support you because you're living your authentic self. There's no better feeling than that. And when you do it, you feel so secure in these relationships, right? You feel so much better in contrast to like you realize these other relationships were just so superficial. It's like the same conversations all the time, the same stories. I think back, and I'm not trying to be negative by any means. (laughs) But you are, Steph. No, you're not. But I'm being like completely just realistic. Yeah. I look back at memories when I was a drinker and it's like one big memory because we did the same thing in the same place over and over and over again. There's no like this was this date and this was that date. Yeah. Do you have that same thing? Like it's just one big memory. Like I had two trips to Florida. I can't figure out what happened in which one because we went to the same place with the same people and kind of just did the same thing. And I have to really try to, because I was so drunk, I can't remember like what happened at one trip. It just all like meshed together. And now my life experiences with friends and family, they're like new memories that are specific. Absolutely. And it goes across years, decades, because it was all about drinking. That's boring. And to be honest, when we stop drinking, what we want to do does change. And I used to say, oh, it must be so boring. But actually what it is, is we get, we want to go, and I'm saying we collectively, like every sober person is the same. They're not, I'm talking about myself, but I like to get a good night's sleep. I like to go to bed earlier. But that doesn't mean that I'm boring. It just means I really appreciate the things that are nurturing because in the day I've got so much more energy. I'm doing so much more. But it's also really important for me to say that friendships used to be about sitting in a pub and drinking. And now I would consider you one of my best friends, Steph, Mm -hmm. and I've never met you. I would have gone, what a load of crap if someone had said that to me. But it's genuinely true because aside from the physical connection of being, you know, right in front of someone, we chat almost daily. You know more about me than a lot of my friends. You are always caring and considerate. And I know you understand me. Connection does not have to be physically sitting with someone and talking to them. So you've got to branch out a bit to find the people. Mm -hmm. But they can have a massive impact on your life. And they really can fill the void that I think a lot of us notice when we shed those friendships that were solely based on drink. And what's helpful is finding yourself and having the time to do the hobbies you've always wanted to do because now you've got a lot of free time. 
And going out and doing those things, you're going to meet people that have the same interests and you're going to find your new tribe and it's not going to revolve around alcohol. Like you're going to actually create a friendship that didn't start with, oh, you drink the same wine as me. Oh my God, we should be friends. Because how many friendships of yours started that way? You and I've talked about that a lot. Like I only became friends with people, some people because they drank like I drank and it made me feel normal. And I don't want that anymore. Yeah. And I think I remember when we spoke to Des in a previous episode, he Mm -hmm. said, that it's difficult especially as a man because yeah. when you meet someone and you you can't say well let's go for a beer it's very hard because it's awkward to meet someone for the first time and let's say you have a chat while you're waiting for a bus or something and you want to see that person again but what do you say you can't say let's go for a walk because that's weird that's mm-hmm. too much too soon but you have to become a bit braver and you have to start doing more things where you get a bit more time with people and that should push you out of your comfort zone but let's be honest that's what you need in sobriety mm-hmm. you need to start pushing other areas of your life but things that are interesting to you things that aren't based on messing up your brain embarrassing yourself and then recovering so whatever it is you like to do Try and find ways where you will meet other people because that will lead to other friendships and and other interests. But you do have to get out there and look. You cannot just sit at home on your own and try and do this thing on your own and lose all the friends that were heavy drinkers and then expect people to literally come and knock on your door. And that is the reality of it. So whether it's creating an Instagram account that is just a sober one that doesn't have your face on it, but you go out and you start interacting with people just to get some more confidence you know, that's a great way to do it or to join a cycling group or to start rowing or whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. And I think the best way to gauge too, like what friends you probably don't want to like get a hold of is like, if you can't think of any other activity to do with them, when you want to reach out to get together, if if you can't think of anything like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if they would want to go to lunch with me or whatever, because that started happening with me. That's kind of your first indication that that's a relationship that's probably going to just fade away. I think it's hard when you've been friends with someone for a long time. So since you were a teenager and you've kind of gone through not really drinking a lot, then you've become big drinkers. And then one of you comes out the other side because those are the friendships you really do want to try and hold on to. Mm-hmm. because they're deep rooted and they've got so much history but there will be things you can do you just have to change it you have to start going out for lunch instead of dinner mm-hmm. you know yeah. and and those can be hard but honesty is so important you know saying i'm not drinking anymore but i i hope we can still hang out you know once every couple of weeks or whatever and and explain how you feel if you don't like being around alcohol say that and make a suggestion if you don't mind being in a pub or a bar say that I don't mind coming along yeah let them know what you're okay with what you're not okay with and if they then still stop calling you just give it time because either they're going to come around and things will work out or you will just drift apart you can't force anything and there are two parts of any relationship and any friendship and you can only do your best but as soon as you start doubting yourself it's time to take a step back right yeah if anyone makes you feel especially when you decide to stop drinking if they make you feel that you're somehow not fun not cool you're the one in the wrong do not let that happen because that's a step too far and let's be honest it's boring drunk people are boring And I'm sorry, but that's a fact. I was one of them for 20 years. Life goes on. We're not meant to drink alcohol. That's something that we've started to rely on, but we can also change and we can start doing things that are genuinely fun. And and that's when things start to get exciting. Once you start to 
realize that you're going to meet new people who you actually look forward to seeing and you come back with fresh memories and, and you're, you've realized you've laughed for two hours. Yeah. Those are wonderful times out. That's what we should be doing on a day or a night out. That's probably been one of the hardest things for me is like being okay with being with me and getting to know me and nurturing that relationship too. And you can't find yourself if you're busy trying to be someone else for other people. Mm -hmm. You'll never do it. You Mm -hmm. won't be that other person and you won't be yourself. You've got to let one of those go. And by choosing sobriety, you've made your decision. So put everything into it. Put everything into Finding yourself, working out what you want to do. This is actually a really nice time of self-care and and finally looking at yourself and saying, I'm going to make myself happy. And if if these people don't fit in with that, I wish them no harm. I wish them all luck, right. but I'm going off in a different direction. Yep. Yep. It's your time. Thanks for tuning in. We're just two women from opposite sides of the pond striving to shed light on the negative impacts of alcohol. Quick heads up. We're not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is seriously affecting your mental or physical health, seek professional help. And don't forget to hit that follow button to catch all of our future episodes. If you think our podcast could make a difference to someone you know, share the love. And hey, leaving a five-star review will really help the Sober Effect reach more fantastic people like you. So thank you. 